Hello, this is Daniel Orton, pastor of Harvest House United Pentecostal Church in Marion, Kentucky. It is our desire to see hurting hearts and minds healed as they are born again into the kingdom of God. It is my desire that this podcast will be a blessing to you and help bring you closer to Jesus. What I have is the word for this moment, so... Uh, if you would, turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter number 20. Turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter number 20, verse number 2. It is up on the screen, Joshua 20, verse number 2. If you'll let me get there as well. We arrive at the verses. Would you just say amen? Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses. The slayer that killeth any person unawares and unwittingly may flee thither, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. When he that doth flee unto one of these cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city and shall declare his cause in the ears of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city unto them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. I don't have it up there, but I'm going to continue reading a couple more verses here. If the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand, because he smote his neighbor unwittingly and hated him not before time. He shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment, until the death of the high priest shall be in those days. Then shall the slayer return come into his own city and unto his own house, unto the city from whence he fled. I'm also going to turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 5 says this. It may sound a little different, but Matthew chapter 5, verse number 21 says... Ye have heard that it was said them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. Whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Then, finally, I know it's a few things reading here, but... 1 John 3.15, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. I'm going to be talking today about the place of refuge. The place of refuge. If you would, let's all bow our heads and let's pray. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for all that you do. You are a good God. You are a holy God. You are the mighty one. You are our healer, our redeemer. You are our savior. 
In Jesus' name, we love you, Lord. We thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a story in the Bible about a man. We aren't given this man's name, so I'm going to call him Jobab, because I just decided I wanted to. Jobab and his buddy were preparing to build a new barn. Jobab and his buddy were preparing to build a new barn, so he said, hey man, um, would you be willing for me and you to go together uh, and, and um, you got some tools I can borrow while we're at it because I really don't have any. I, I don't really have what I need to build this barn so could you help me go get some wood together uh, and I, I'm going to need to borrow your axe while I'm at it. He said, now you know my axe is old. Well, yeah, but my, my cousin borrowed mine, so I've got to use your tools. So, all right, man, let's head out there. So they went out to the woods. They're chopping down trees left and right. And Joe Babb is doing the chopping while um, Fred, I don't know his name, I don't say his name, uh, is gathering all the wood together. He saw, he, he's got a little saw, and he's stacking all the logs up in a pile. And at one point, something... Suddenly the axe gets a lot lighter. When he swings back the axe one last time, the axe handle flies off, he turns around, and Fred's dead. Fred is laying dead right over top of the pile of wood with a gigantic bump come out of the top of his head where the iron of the axe head just absolutely obliterated his skull. And he's freaking out. This is his best friend. He's laying here dead. There are no witnesses. There's nothing. He has no leg to stand on. And he said, I got to get my buddy back home. So he drags his buddy's body out of the woods, leaves the axe behind, leaves everything behind. He knocks on Fred's wife's door and tells him, what's going on, but Fred's wife doesn't answer the door. Instead, it's Fred's brother, and Fred never liked Jobab anyway. What? Yeah, that's what I said. I said, Fred's brother never liked Jobab anyway. He never did. And he said, what did you do to my brother? I know you shouldn't have been hanging out with him. I know you did this on purpose. I know because I know that you're nothing but a low-down liar. I know you should, and you couldn't even bother to have your own tools. What is wrong with you? You've killed my brother, and I'm going to kill you. Now, what on earth is Jobab supposed to do? According to Deuteronomy chapter number 19, in the case when a man goes in the woods with his neighbor to cut down wood and his hand fetches a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree and the head slips from the helve and lights upon his neighbor that he die, he shall flee unto one city of refuge. Lest the avenger of the blood pursue the slayer 
while his heart is hot, overtake him, and because the way is long, slay him, whereas he was not worthy of death, inasmuch as he did not hate him in time past. According to Jesus, the only reason that murder is considered murder is if hatred is involved. This is what makes it okay to fight in a war. Because, for the most part, when you're fighting in a war, it's not a personal vendetta of any sort. It's just, I'm protecting my country. I don't hate this man that I'm shooting at. All, all I'm doing is fighting for my country. Jesus said that if a man does not hate him, it is not a murder. This is why someone who had a traffic accident is not a murderer. This is why Jobab is not a murderer. The problem is, people get mad when they don't know your motive. Jesus said that in this same passage on murder, he says that if a man lusts after a woman, he's already committed adultery in his heart. Because God knows our motives. A wife may never know that her husband is looking at another woman, but according to God, he is an adulterer, even though the wife has no idea. You see, when David was standing on the rooftop, looking and seeing Bathsheba, he had already committed adultery. It was only a matter of enacting on it that led to both adultery and murder. Murder in the eyes of God is hatred. So we come to our question. What on earth? Why, why does this city exist? This place of refuge. This place, these houses, these, this random, there were about three cities at least in Israel from Israel's founding that were considered to be cities of refuge. It was put into Joshua's hands. That's what we read earlier in the book of Joshua was that he was told to set aside three cities and in these three cities, people who were on trial could hide. Because if we didn't know the reason, we don't know that they're a killer. Well, maybe they're a killer, but we don't know that they're a murderer. A killing has taken place, but a murder not necessarily so much. So we've got people who are perfectly innocent in the eyes of God, but not in the eyes of people. And we, you know what? If we're being honest, there are a whole lot of those in the world right now. It was a misunderstanding. It's not my fault. I didn't do anything. But my friend thinks I did something. And they never really liked, this person never really liked me in the first place. And now I'm being accused. They never really trusted me. But now I'm accused. And they think they have every right to revenge. There are other sins out there. But the thing is, God sees your motives, but people only see your actions. People only see your actions. 
Only you know why it is you did what you did. In fact, sometimes you're not even 100% why you did what you did. You're like, look, it was just a spur-of-the-moment decision. I just decided to turn left instead of right. And now we've got, and now my drink's all over your shirt. It was not intentional. It's not my fault. But in, your, in the eyes of the person there, they're hot-headed, they're angry. It was their favorite shirt. And they say, you did that on purpose. That's a very mild offense, is it not? What about the bigger ones? What do you do when someone is just absolutely out to get you and they're angry and sometimes they don't even remember why they're angry anymore? They don't even remember why they're so mad, but they are so mad. They're so angry. We need these cities of refuge because God sees our motives, but man does not. And when man is left in charge, things get bad. And God knew that. God knew this simple incident in the woods with no witnesses was going to happen. Now, I, I've heard so many people say, this city, this story sounds so ridiculous. It's found in Deuteronomy 19 and 5. This story sounds a little weird. It sounds so insanely specific. He's cutting down wood and on a random stroke of the axe, the axe head flies off, hits somebody, and kills him. That's the reason I, I decided to put names on this story. Because it sounds like it might have actually happened. It feels like something that really happened. There's too many details here. So what happened here? We don't know. For all we know, this could be a true story. And in the original story, because there was no city of refuge, what happened? It sounds to me like if this story is true, most likely Jobab did not survive. He did not get justice of God, and instead the justice of man was enacted. In the true story behind this law, I am fairly certain that our main character did not survive. I have a feeling the barn was never finished. I have a feeling he died at the hands of an angry brother, at the hands of an angry friend at the hands of an angry father or uncle this innocent man was killed we have more stories like this in the bible one of the ones that comes most readily to my mind is a man named abner he was there was this big incident that went down with one of david's sons and Everyone was on different sides of the argument, and Abner was on one side while another man was on another side, and he was chasing down Abner, and Abner said, slow down. If you don't slow down, you're going to end up being hurt. And Abner holds out his, the back end of his spear to stop the guy from chasing down after him, and he's just bearing down hard. 
the back end of the spear goes through that young man's chest and he ends up on the side of the road dead. Very violent, very horrible story. And Abner runs for his life because he knows vengeance is on its way. His brother gets angry. He chases him down, but he chases him to the gates of the city of refuge. And as long as he stays inside the gates of that city, he cannot be killed. He says, hey, come out and talk to me. Come out and talk to me. I want to have a conversation with you. I just, I just want to talk. I just want to talk to him. And he walks outside the gate. He's taken off into a dark corner and stabbed through the chest. Stabbed through the stomach, right between the ribs, in just the right place with surgical precision. And he dies in a pool of his own blood. Okay. You're all thinking, I've never killed anyone. What's your point? Why all this talk about killing? You've never killed anyone, but what have you done? What is it that you have people that come down after you all the time, ready to tear into you for what you have done wrong? What you've done wrong. What is plaguing your mind that I wish people would just understand me? I wish people would just understand my explanation. I didn't mean to do it. It wasn't on purpose. But I've lost my family's respect. I've lost my co-workers' respect. I've lost my friends' respect. And no one understands me. And I, I can't seem to find anyone who's able and ready to listen to me. David was not guilty of anything. Yet he come to a battlefield at the request of his father and his brothers turn to him and say, I know the mischievous thoughts that are inside of you. I know you're here just to, just to be... I know the wickedness in your heart. David said, what have I done? What have I now done that you are so upset with me? I'm just asking questions. I'm just curious. I'm just a curious teenager out here seeing the battlefield and wondering why no one's fighting right now. What have I now done? People were serving a God with high standards. But the problem is, God's standards are not the standards that the world uses to judge you. So when we're in the midst of people, we're living on a human planet while trying to serve a holy God. So where do we find this city of refuge? Because we don't live in ancient Israel. There is no uh, city that you can go to 
when when you walk the minute you walk into that city no one can ever enact their revenge on you there is no planet there there is no city on this planet where the moment you walk through the gates of that city no one can talk to you about that little piece of family controversy no one can hash it out with you about some piece of controversy or anything like that you uh, can't get run to Kadesh you can't run to Shechem you can't run to Kerjath Arba in Hebron in the mountain of Judah you can't run to those cities of refuge that Joshua appointed they're not available is there anywhere that you can walk and the minute you walk through the gates of that place you will never again have to worry about it as long as you're in those doors you are up you are outside the realm of where an accuser can get to you because here's the thing our accusers the accuser that talks to you every day while it may be a human there's someone there's another accuser that you can never get rid of because it seems every moment every day every night every moment you lay down your head to sleep at night there is some accuser in your brain saying you are so guilty To the point where the name that he's most commonly known by is literally just accuser, adversary, Satan. He does it so often that it seems like it's your own thoughts talking to you, saying you know you're a sinner. You know you've done everything wrong. You know that you deserve everything that's happened to you in your life. You deserve everything. Or on the other hand, maybe you deserve none of this. Maybe you, maybe you don't even deserve a single good thing that's ever happened to you, and every bad thing that's happened to you, you absolutely deserve. That's, that's what it sounds like every single day. But, and we're sitting here and we're just thinking, I wish that I could chill out for just a second. I wish I could relax. I wish, I wish that I could have a moment where I didn't have to think about this. And who knows, maybe you do have people that you've got that are doing the same thing they're sending you text messages they're sending you dirty looks every time that you bump into them you're just like you you read their expression and you just know they don't like me what do you do where do you go it says in psalm 91 he that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. There's that place in prayer that you can get to, and it is a place of refuge. It is absolutely wonderful. It is perfect. It is a perfect place of peace. The moment you can get there in prayer, you can suddenly be shielded from every attack, every verbal message of the enemy, every thought, everything. When you get in that place in prayer, all the rest of it is shut out. All the rest of it is gone. When the Spirit of God falls and you're able to sit there, and you're able to intercede, you're able to worship in absolute perfect peace. That is the place of refuge. But that is, and while that is absolutely wonderful, that is absolutely perfect. It is so wonderful. And yes, you can live there every moment, every day of every hour. But there's another thing that comes in. Waiting for you right outside of that prayer time. 
is Joab. He's ready to say, come on, Abner. Step outside. I want to talk to you. Come on. Let's talk. I want to talk to you about what you did to my brother. So we've got to live there. You've got to dwell in the secret place of the Most High. You've got to dwell there. You've got to live there. How do you live in prayer? How do you live there? How do you live in the place of refuge? How do you live there? It's not so much that you live there physically. It needs to live in you. It needs to live in you. You get it? He, he said this. He said, he... that believeth on me as the scripture hath said in out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water restoration can just come flowing out of you healing waters can come flowing out of you if you'll be filled with his spirit you need to be filled with his spirit and yes i know we still deal with stuff all the time but it's different Perfect peace. You can have perfect peace. You can have that perfect peace. There's a second thing I want to talk about, and it's what really weighs on my heart when I'm doing this. Prayer is wonderful. All of this is wonderful. But there is a place on the planet, physically, that I want to talk about. And you're sitting in it right now. You're sitting in it right now. And it's not just a building, it is a people. These people inside this building, you are to be a place of refuge. You see, His Spirit, when that Spirit comes flooding onto you, you become a citizen of the place of refuge. For the first time when you've spoken in tongues and you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you are called to be a citizen of the place of refuge. And from that very moment, from that very day, you have an assignment on you. And that there is, that is that those people that feel like they need a city of refuge need to be able to come to you. They need to be able to come to you. So that is why when someone walks through those doors and they have a stain on their life. They have a stain on their record. They have something on them that has absolutely marked them in the eyes of everyone. The moment they walk through the door, everyone knows who they are. 
There's a reason that this place needs to be a place where both someone who has we're both someone who has raised a child and someone who has an abandoned a child can worship across the aisle from each other. It's happened. This needs to be a place where someone who everyone sees them and their first thought is to either laugh or cringe or cry. In the end... They're still standing up at an altar at the end of service being prayed for by people. This needs to be a place where the moment that you can walk in, you can realize, I don't know what I've done. I don't know what, it, it don't matter what I've done. It don't matter what anyone thinks about what I've done. I can come in here and I can receive my healing and I can be okay. And I need it to, we need it to be so that they, when they come in, they know that those people in that place, I can trust them. Because if you can't trust the city of refuge, the place of refuge, what can you trust? Where else are they going to go? Where else are they going to be accepted? The only place where murderers are accepted is, is, with, is with other murderers. The only place that liars are accepted is in the company of liars. The only place that these people are, that drunks are accepted are in bars. The only place that drug heads are accepted are in drug dens. So what is your solution? Would you rather that they go hang out with their other sinners and continue to be sinners? Or would you rather that they come into this place and be healed? Would you rather it be that... It says... It says... He shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment until the death of the high priest. He shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the high priest. And only then shall he return and come into his own city, unto his own house, unto the city from whence he fled. Who's the high priest? And once the high priest dies, then he can be restored to go back to living comfortably in his own home, in his own city. At the moment of the death of the high priest, that's when he can be restored. Until that day, he better stay hold up in the city. Until the blood of the high priest is spilled, he's not safe to walk anywhere. Until the moment when that person comes in who's stained with sin and has some blood that's spilled from the high priest, But once that blood is spilled, he's a free man who can live his life without the stain of sin, without some, the accuser going after him. 
So you see, when someone comes in who's absolutely guilty, that they need to be led to a place where a high priest has died for them. Okay, let me spill it out plainly because no one's getting it yet. <laughs> you see, the high priest has died. That means you don't have to live inside the church doors. And you can live your life. Jesus is that high priest. When Jesus went to a cross and died, that means that you don't have to live inside a church doors. You don't have to live inside the city of refuge. You are allowed to walk out with Abner dragging, without Abner dragging you to the back of the building and stabbing you through the gut. But what if you don't know that? But if you think when I walk through those doors, everyone's going to be ready to kill me there too. You see, the problem is that we've got a lot of places that are like that that are supposed to be the city of refuge. I, I, I was sitting there just trying to Google. I'm like, okay, did this ever happen in the Bible? Did someone inside the city of refuge ever kill somebody? I don't find it on the books. It's not written. On, it, I didn't find it in the books. Now, someone may come up to me later and say, oh, yeah, well, did you not know in Zedekiah chapter 25? I know that don't exist. That's the reason I said it. <laughs> but I didn't find it on the books. So why is it that we have churches where people are absolutely annihilating each other? Amen. That's right. Come on. Come on. The only explanation is that that place is not a city of refuge. If you have a place... I heard a, I was listening to a podcast this week by, from a man named Ryan French. And he was talking about the different types of saints that are, there are in churches. He said, you've got he said, you have builders and makers. He said, you've got makers and takers. You have breakers and makers. The ones that are in the category together are the breakers and the takers. The ones that are also in a category together are the makers and givers. Which one are you? Because he said, now there's a whole lot. We have this sad state that there are people within the church who are absolutely only there to destroy they may disguise themselves as loyal members who are always there and absolutely ready to be involved in absolutely everything, but every time they're involved in something, something gets broke. People are destroyed. Programs are brought to ruin. Then you've got takers, and they're nowhere near as dangerous as breakers, but they're still not useful in the least. If they are involved in something, it's only because they know they can get something out of it. And as I listened, I had faces flashing through my mind. Faces flashing through my mind. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 this makes sense. This makes sense. I've seen it over and over and over and over again. 
But he said, but then the ones that we all need in the church are the ones who are the givers. They're able to give their time. They're able to give their money. They're able to be involved in everything because all they want to do is see the kingdom grow. And then there's makers, the, the people who actively do something. They're coming up with new ideas. They're always doing something. They're always inviting someone to church. They're always trying to grow a program. They're always trying to pray. They give themselves in prayer. They, they always are doing something to pray someone through to show someone that they can have eternal life. The sad truth is that we have both of these categories of people within the church of God. And, the, uh, and another good piece of truth, as long as you're in a city of refuge, there will be breakers within the city. Because I don't know about you, but I am fairly certain. Is there anyone in this room who thinks there was probably a guilty person inside the city at least once? No, I don't think they were all guilty. Did they all, were they all murderers? No. Were some of them murderers? Yes. Were some of them like Jobab? Yes. Were some of them just as guilty? Abner's story is not perfectly clean. In my head, I do somewhat see that Abner had a right to be in that city. But God said this. He said, I will let the chaff and the wheat grow up together. And in the end, the good fruit will be gathered into the barn and the weeds will be thrown into the fire. But you know who, but before then he said, don't you dare pull any of them out until they are fully grown. He said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. But we've got a whole lot of people out there who are forgetting that you are supposed to be a city of refuge. But as long as we have people in that city, I am, if you, God, I'm trying to, I've got two stories in mind. I've got two people I'm trying to talk to here. For, I, I've talked quite a bit to say this, look, make sure that if you are in this church, if you are in this church, if you are an active member and you are not the person who is plagued with guilt every moment of every day and you have been filled with the Spirit, I am talking to those of you filled with the Spirit and I am saying make sure that you are willing to let anyone in, sell to anyone, ask no questions. I, I love what was written on Bethany's post that she made about this store. I am not asking any questions you know what you need I don't Amen. let that not only apply to financial status Amen. I'm not gonna ask any questions you know if you need comfort or not when you come to me I will pray for you when you come to me I will minister to you when you come to me I will give you a Bible study I don't know if you have impure motives or not I don't know what kind of impure motives you could have if you're asking for a Bible study but I'm sure you can have them because you can absolutely twist anything where humans were great at it 
But let me put this to you simply. As long as you are here, if you're going to sit in these pews, we are going to pray for you. If you are going to sit in these pews, we're going to take care of you. And if you can't line up with that, if you can't line up with that, it may be in your best interest to find another place to go on Sunday mornings. If you can't line up with the fact that anyone who walks through these doors will be taken care of, will be served, then I think you had best find another place to go. If we, if the person who stole your childhood sweetheart shows up, we're going to pray for him and pray him through to the Holy Ghost. If the person who, if the person who lied on you in fifth grade shows up, we are going to pray for them and get them through to the Holy Ghost. If the person comes up and your only thought is how could they possibly let them them through these doors I don't they know what they did I know too bad so sad we're going to pray for them we're going to let them show up to every service yeah. don't they know what they did absolutely not and I'd rather not know most of the time if they if it's bad enough if they feel like we need to know they will let us know We are supposed to be a city of refuge. I don't read where there was someone posted at the gates who was supposed to know whether or not this was one of the guilty ones in the city. When, the gate, when you walked up to the gate, the gatekeeper didn't ask, okay, so which case are you involved in? What, what's, what's your story? Why are you here? No one's posted at the gate to ask that question. The only place where you're going to be asked that question is when you come up for prayer. Sometimes someone might ask you, what do you want me to pray for? That's not our job. I don't have to know why you want to be baptized and what you're repenting of. All I know is that all have sinned. Come short of the glory of God. I don't need to know what your sin is. All I need, all I knew, all I know is this: that when you come to these altars, when you ask God to forgive you for your sins, He does forgive you for your sins. When you ask to be baptized and you get baptized, those sins are forevermore washed out the way. And when you pray and get, you will be filled with the Holy Ghost, and rivers of living, living water will rush out of you, so that you can turn the process around and continue it forward. Every single one of you in this place, no matter what you have done, you are just as qualified to stand behind this pulpit someday as I am. Amen. God can absolutely transform your life. Every single one of you have the opportunity to be called by God, to be used by God. Amen. The only one that knows your motive is God. So, with all that in mind, I have one final thing to say. Don't be like Abner. <laughs> and when the recuser shows up at the door and says, hey, let's talk. Don't go talking to him. Don't you walk outside these doors. I saw a lot of people come up here today for prayers for restoration. I saw a lot of people coming up here. And this was the message that was placed in my head at that time. I was praying, God, where do you want this message in today? This was before service spiraled into what it spiraled into. And I felt God say, tell them, do not 
leave. Do not leave. Look, it is very tempting because someone is going to come to you and say, hey, let's talk. Hey, let's just step outside of the gate for just a second. Everything's going to be okay. I need to talk to you. I need to tell you something. I need to, you and me need to go have a chat. Look, there was a few moments before he got over into that dark corner outside of the city gates, there were a few moments when he could have easily turned around and not ended up dead in a pool of blood. There were a few moments where he could have turned around, walked back inside those city gates, and he would have been completely fine, completely unscathed, because as I said, I don't read of an occasion where someone was ever killed inside the gates. The purpose of the city is to keep you there until it's time for the trial. Amen. The trial doesn't happen until the trumpet sounds in our world. Until, until this world comes to its end. Until we are standing at the gates of heaven. Until we are sitting at the judgment throne of God. That's when the gavel slams. Amen. That's when the books are open. That's when everything comes down. So until then, you need to stay inside of the gates. Do not step outside the gates. Do not quit coming to church services. Do not quit staying in contact with your pastor. Do not. Because the moment that you do, the, the, the banner of protection is removed. The minute that you step outside, the minute that you lose contact, the minute that we, you just go dark, yeah. it's over and we cannot help you anymore. Amen. I cannot help you if you do not tell me that you need help. I cannot help you if I never see you. I cannot do that. I can, I can pray for you all I want to. But unless you are on board, our Lord does not override your brain. My call today is this, to not leave the city. If you step in the presence of an accuser, you are putting yourself at risk. Don't cross those lines. Don't step inside of the area of the accuser. Until the case is over, you don't need to step outside of those boundaries. That's what was written in these verses. They put it this way. They said, until the high priest dies, do not step outside of the city limits. And while, yes, as I said, you're allowed to live your life because the high priest has died in our world, by the same token, your case is not over yet. Because as long, until the judgment day, Satan is standing before the throne of God accusing you every moment. He's trying to find one hole in the case where he can say, you know, they did that, right? You know, that's, that, that's a sin. That's a sin, and you said that sin, you will not hold him guiltless. You will not do this. You will not do that. 
That's that's just, they're they're guilty. They're guilty. They're guilty. They're guilty. They're guilty. They're guilty there. They're guilty here. They're guilty left, right, up, down, all around. They're guilty. He's standing there. He's making his accusations boldly and proudly. So we you don't need to step inside outside of the limits of the city of refuge. Because when you do, the accuser says, okay, I can, you know, I'm going to step outside for just a second and, hey, come here. I'm inviting you to come and come into my corner. Come into my arena. Step into the place where it's my rules, not the rules of the high priest. Because I have every right to destroy you. I know what you did. So stay inside the city. I've received this advice before. As long as the trial's going on, you don't need to step into the realm of the accuser. As long as you stay here, you're clean. The moment you walk in there, you open yourself up to every word of the enemy. Don't step into a single place where the enemy could possibly see you, accuse you, say something against you. Even recently, I was told, hey, don't do this. Don't, don't let me be seen by my accusers. Don't, don't post that picture. They might decide it's incriminating. The reason why is because they can use anything to their advantage. Even a few minutes. It doesn't sound like the conversation was long between Abner and Joab. It was just long enough to get to a corner in the quiet where no one could see them. And the sword did its damage. The blade pierced him, destroyed him. So here's what that means. They're going to come to you and they'll say, hey, you don't have to go this service, right? You don't have to talk to your preacher at this time. Look, I'm sure he'll perfectly understand why you're not talking to him. You don't have to tell them about this situation to pray about it. You don't have to ask for counsel on this. You don't have to do this. There's no reason. There's absolutely nothing that says. There's no verse that says that. There's no. Don't step outside the protection. The blood is what saves you. The blood is what restores you. When the death angel was coming into the city on the 10th plague, he said, don't step out of the house with the blood on the doorpost or the angel will kill you. Nothing complicated to it today. This is, let me get my music, I'm done. This is, this is the message. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Just don't leave the city. Don't leave the church. Don't step outside 
This place needs to be your city of refuge. We are here. We understand. We don't know every detail. We don't have to know every detail. We just know that when you're here, you are protected. You are saved. You are restored. And if you stay here, you can be saved. If you don't stay here, you will be destroyed. I know a lot of us have already prayed it today. We've already prayed for all of you, for so many of you that said that I need the restoration, I need refuge, I need protection, because in my mind, my own mind is a prison, my own mind is an attack, my own mind is currently under attack from the enemy. I'm constantly being it's a barrage constantly attacking of thoughts of you're a failure of thoughts of you're a loser of, 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 of thoughts that you can't possibly make it it's impossible you can't make it it's impossible your your, your mom didn't make it your dad didn't make it your, your family is nothing but chaos so how could you stand a chance to make it? But there is a God here. He is protecting you. He says, if you will dwell in my presence, you're safe. You can be protected. You can be restored. So please come into this city. And once you're here, we prayed those prayers and all I could think was, yes, we've already got past the fact that this is a place that restores. We've already heard it today. This is a place that's ready to restore and to heal. So let me just tell you this. Don't leave. You're already here. So just don't leave. Just don't leave. I need, let's come up here. Let's pray. And let's say, God, I'm not leaving the city. I'm not going to leave the city. I'm not going to leave the city. I'm going to come back. I'm going to tell my friends. They need to be in this city. I'm going to make sure that I stay here. That I don't leave here. Someone needs to find a place to pray and say, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. We need to make the commitment that we're not going to leave. I'm going to keep on being here every chance I can. I'm going to let you know what's going on. God, I'm going to keep on praying. I'm going to keep on I'm going to keep on in study of your word. I'm going to keep on. I'm going to keep on. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. I know you've already prayed once today. I know you've already, so many of you have already been in this altar today. So that means one thing I know, that if you were in the altar today, that tells me that you need to make sure and make this commitment. If you were in the altar earlier, you need to make this commitment now that I'm not leaving and I'm going to make sure this lasts. I'm going to make sure this lasts. If you, if you were doing... If, the message hit you this morning saying shame is a thing that I deal with you need to make the commitment that I'm not leaving the city this is where you put on that helmet of salvation this is where you put on that helmet of salvation and say I'm not letting anything else in my mind except the word of God 
want to silence every attack of the enemy that tries to get near my ears. I'm putting this on. I'm not leaving the city. Someone please come and pray. Someone please come and pray and make that commitment. I'm going to be in church every chance I get. I'm going to pray every chance I get. I'm going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm going to be baptized in Jesus' name. God, forgive me of all my sins.